0: Moncrief,
1: on News Talk,
0: Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.
1: Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, Now, here's your first question. My 13-year-old daughter refuses to go to school. She suffers with high anxiety, and this is her first year in secondary school. She will have to repeat the year, and I'm worried it will cause even more anxiety. She says she wants to repeat in the school she's currently in, but i think she should go to another school to avoid the issues of repeating in the sa- in the same one sure Sh- how should i approach this
0: I think this is such a good example Sean we've talked about you know the high rise in school refusal incidents previously when another letter on this came in Mm. but it's a good example of how this doesn't just impact the young person in question but also the entire family because this and I I say this with absolute understanding this parent is also anxious what are we going to do where should she go how will we resolve this and there's a couple of things here you know first of all I'm just and these are questions back to the question writer really but have you identified or resolved what Prompted the school refusal this year? You know, was there something? Was there an, a thing that happened? Was it a on, But have you identified what made it so difficult for her to go to school this year to ensure it's not going to repeat itself next year? And when you name that she has high anxiety, I hear that very clearly. I take that very seriously. And I'm just again flagging that I hope and I, I am sure it is after a whole year of this, but that her high anxiety is being treated professionally because these are the things that are going to make it possible for her to re-engage with school. And the whole approach to re-engaging with school needs to be a collaborative one that involves parents, the young person, the you know, appropriate mental health support and the school community as well. You know, if this isn't something parents and young person can fix or address alone when it's this kind of level of pervasive or chronic or prolonged school refusal, it has to be a collaborative approach. And I'm wondering, is that perhaps why she does want to stick with this school? You know, she may, and I don't know the particularities here, but she may feel understood or comfortable with the teachers or that the school understand why she wasn't in school so that they would at least be a holding environment for her. And she may want to stick there for that reason. But, you know, when when this parent is writing, Sean, you know that, I think she might be better going to another school to avoid the issues repeating that also makes me curious about were the issues specific to something or some people or some experience in this school so there's a lot of variables here to be explored but what matters is that she is comfortable and confident returning and the piece of this letter that really gives me hope around that is that this young person says she wants to repeat in the school she's currently in so she's saying I want to go to school I want to repeat first year I want to try this again. Those are the hopeful cues in here. So I, I just think if you've got all of the support mechanisms around that, even if she is going to transfer to a new school, you do need to make them aware that she's had a very difficult first time or first year and that, you know, you've taken appropriate action and she's got all the requisite supports, but that you do want them maybe to identify a support teacher who can be available to her as she makes that transition. So always think of this in a collaborative way because school refusal is a very difficult thing to deal with as a family. And certainly as a family alone, I think it's, I actually think it's impossible. I think it has to be collaborative.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Like it just from, The way the question is phrased, it sounds like the 13-year-old is saying, well, I'm just anxious about this. It's not the fault of the school per se, whereas the parent seems to think the school itself is a factor.
0: And that's where my the questions I'm coming up with are arising from. I totally agree with you. There's there's almost two, two perspectives in this letter and it's entirely possible both are valid. Like it's, you know, mm-hmm. people can have differing perspectives on the same situation that she may see, oh, this was the problem and this was okay. And the parent might go, no, I was the one dealing with it and negotiating. And actually I think this was the problem. So both are valid. But I think when it comes to this, you're you have the shared goal of getting her back into school. And if she says, it's going to be easier for me to return to the school environment I somewhat know, then I would be tempted to go with that because the goal is to get her back in and get her back reengaged fully in school and mm. being able to do this next year.
1: Indeed. Uh, as usual, uh, I should say if you have any questions for uh, Joanne, afternoon at newstalk.com is the uh, email address to send it into. Next question is this My two and a half year old has taken to telling me she doesn't like me. This has been going on for a couple of months now, and it's obviously not very nice to hear. The first time she said it, I made a bit of a fuss, pretending to cry, etc., which probably encouraged it. But since then, I have mainly ignored it. She doesn't say it to her dad and can say it to, uh, to me, both when she's being told off and when not. There doesn't seem to be a trigger. What should I do?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy now. I'm going to give you an answer. And I think as a parent, you'd be going, oh, yeah, in my head, that sounds great. But in the moment <laughs> of your child telling you that, it's very difficult, you know, because, you know, sensibly, you know, this this two and a half year old, this is not personal, but it can feel really personal in the moment. But bear in mind, a two and a half year old has a very limited range of emotional expression. I mean, I know you think, no, no, they can express loudly and long, but it's, you know, they can't get into the nuance and they don't have that emotional fluency to say, well, actually, it's not you, but your actions I'm displeased with, you know, So they just end up going, I don't like you or I hate you or whatever it might be. And I don't like you in this context more often means I don't like how I'm feeling in this context, in this moment, in this exchange with you, whatever it might be. So one of the things you you have here, and again, I'm going to just try and positively reframe this, but it's an opportunity to name a broader range of feelings and begin that kind of reflecting back what is underpinning these overt statements to your child. So you're not going to say it like that, obviously. But when it happens... you know, and it does sometimes I'm reading in this letter when it is happening in response to her not getting her way, for example, you might try to respond in a very kind tone of voice. Now, kind doesn't mean indulgent. It doesn't mean, oh, absolutely. You be angry with me, darling. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that you can be gentle yet firm, but you're not getting cross back with her. But if you can hold a kind tone and say something like, you know, it's okay to not like my decision or it's okay not to like my words. And I always love you. And then just redirect and move on to something else. And you keep repeating that because the more calm and consistent you can be, the better it's going to be for her. And this will pass. And it sounds like you could add in a little bit more of this that when you're trying to get deeper behind the feelings you could say something to her again this isn't a script adjust it for your own your own words but it sounds like you're upset it sounds like you're frustrated that i turned the tv off or whatever it is you've done um and that's okay i understand now let's go do something else Mm. so again what you're reflecting back is you it's not that you don't like me you're not even getting into that you're just saying oh it sounds like you're upset because I turned the tv off I understand that's okay now let's go do something else because by repeating that kind of in that calm consistent way gradually it's not like they're going to nail it at two and a half years old but gradually I'm learning oh there are there's more to this feeling stuff and actually it's not that I don't like you it's I don't like this and I actually it's because I feel disappointed and I can go do something else so you're trying to kind of knit this emotional narrative that they will grow up and grow into gradually over the course of childhood, but it does start now. So I would look at this as an opportunity to name feelings. Try your best not to personalise it. And I do say that with the caveat that I know it can feel very personal in the moment. But just look at it that at the moment, she has a limited way of expressing her frustration. She has a limited way of expressing her annoyance or irritation. And this is how she's doing it. That's what this is about.
1: Yeah. And uh, as Tim and... uh, uh quite a few other people have texted in to say, uh, wait, she hit 16. Uh, So true. Well, you know, the
0: terrible twos and threes do become the terrible twelves and thirteens very quickly as well, you know, and it has a whole new range of emotional expression then.
1: My eight-year-old is extremely worried that Santa won't make it to our house this year because of COVID, as last year there were less presents than usual in our house. I've tried reassuring her, uh, but she thinks this is a regular conversation among her classmates and that it's only exacerbated her concerns. While I have been comforting her, I would also like her, her to focus less on the presence side of Christmas. So, how do I make her more aware about the need to not worry and also to appreciate the privilege of her situation? Well, indeed, while well, before Joanne gives her answer to that, I can I guarantee anyone listening that. Uh, We are a radio station. We're in constant contact with the North Pole. Everyone is hale and hearty in the North Pole. Obviously, they use magic to get around and they've used magic to protect themselves against COVID. So COVID has had no effect uh, whatsoever on either the elves or the workshops or indeed Santa or Mrs. Santa or any of the reindeer. They're all perfectly well. Anyway, uh, uh, Joanna, I'll, I'll throw the rest of it over to you. No
0: I totally agree and that's really really important that we remember that and that this is a magical time of year and that's really important and you know this is one I'm hearing quite a lot about because you know Sean um, a lot of us you know we we came hurtling out of Halloween straight into Christmas didn't we because we Mm. all felt look we need a bit of cheer and we need to kind of be focused on something positive because there was so much negative narrative surrounding us all and we Christmased our homes our lives um, ourselves very early and it's quite hard to sustain two months of christmas high um especially for children so i think it's quite normal to kind of say at this stage how do we slow this down and i'm really picking up because you know you quite rightly addressed the 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 important part that of course santa's coming and covid doesn't apply but this other piece about you know focusing on look at all you have and you know appreciation which is difficult because i'm 8 years old and actually no matter what we like to say christmas does in, revolve around a lot of gifts, okay? It does. It doesn't have to, but it surely does. So it's hard for children to get their head around well, what do you mean? And I do say thank you, and what is it you want from me? I would say, one of the things you can do, and it's not too late to start this, is slow things down by choosing one Christmas focused activity each week. And it could be, you know, this week we're going to write our cards and post them, or we're going to wrap up gifts and put labels or tags on them, or we're going to do some decorating or make some decorations or whatever it might be. You pick one activity per week and maybe choose one family Christmas movie to watch together per week. And it could be one that's more modern that they'll know. And you could also bring up one from your own childhood and say this was my favorite one let's watch it together you know bring the duvet or the blanket on the sofa and snuggle up together and make that a really nice nurturing activity and you can kind of cross this off on a calendar saying we're doing our cards and this is our movie of the week and also, I would certainly say emphasize that, yes, Christmas involves gifts, but giving is as much fun as receiving. And that's not something you can just kind of trot off your tongue like a tagline. You actually have to do that and you have to believe it yourself. I should add that in. So you could also let your little one, you know, make or bake or buy small gifts that they're going to give to others from themselves. They could choose a couple of family members or, you know, buy for their siblings or buy for parents or whatever it might be. They don't have to buy loads of gifts, but just that whole idea or the joy of making something with someone else in mind and wrapping it and giving it to them and seeing the joy of them receiving it also gives that sense of joy. So if you want her to appreciate giving as well as receiving, do it rather than say it. Um, I also think that you could do something quite simple like bake some biscuits at home. You could leave them at a hostel where maybe homeless people are staying, or that you could drop them to um like an elder person's home in your community with a card and just leave them off so that she's also understanding giving to others in that kind of generosity way. And if possible, it's not always affordable or possible for everybody to do this. But if you have some scope to add a couple of tins or non-perishable items that you could then contribute to a food drive and make her a part of that and call all those, your share food items, when you put them in the trolley, that you will be sharing those with others. I think that's very helpful in in instilling in kids that Christmas is about more than I want, I want, I want, I want. And in fairness to them, you know, they're at the receiving end of a bombardment of marketing and, you know, ads and pictures of toys. It's quite natural for our children to want, want, want. It doesn't make them commercial little monsters. You know, it just makes them they're surrounded by things saying you should want this. OK, then I want it. But we have great opportunity to instill that there's more to this Christmas season and it's about time together and it's also about giving. I think you could do some nice, really small, practical things at home that would help her with this that won't involve you having to sit down and deliver it verbally in some kind of lecture that she's just going to tune out.
1: Yes, indeed. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We have to take a break Uh, after that. The two-year-old wants to go downstairs at five in the morning. 53106 is our text number. That will cost you uh, 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on uh, News Talk. Now, next question is this uh, We have a two and a half year old who, in the last two months, has started to wake at 4 or 5 a.m. When he wakes, he's quite upset and works himself into a state because he wants to go downstairs. We have started to keep him upstairs till at least 6 a.m. as we don't want this to become a habit. When we don't bring him down, he has proper meltdowns. We've ruled out hunger and thirst and are out of ideas as to what's happening or what to do. His nighttime routine is really good. He goes to bed within five minutes of being put down. It's usually between 7 to 7.30. During the day, he's a happy and active kid, but the early mornings are killing us. We can't think of anything in his routine or life that has changed for him. We thought it would be a phase, but it's going on quite a while and he would be uh, much appreciated. And they also say private sleep clinic isn't an option for us. It's not an option for most people. Yeah. But
0: um, also, you know, sleep is one of those questions. I always think it's parental wants versus children's needs. Mm. And I just and again, not to dismiss, I have a very early riser myself. So I have a lot of empathy with this one. Um, But I'm wondering two months ago when you say nothing has changed and I can't even remember now. um, This year feels like a time warp, but the clock's changed in and around that time I think yeah um, and I wonder has that unsettled him a little bit and he hasn't quite adjusted I'm also wondering though Sean what does he typically do or typically get when he goes downstairs in the morning and might that be motivating him you know does he have does he play when he's downstairs does he watch a bit of tv is there radio or music on like what 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 is it he gets when he goes downstairs? Because that might be what he's seeking. You know, it could be you get you out of bed and you're down there with me. It could be the play. It could be food. It could be TV. So just think, what is it that he's actually thinking? What is he associating going downstairs in the morning with? Um, I'd also wonder, you know, when because he sounds like he's really good for you going. You know, that's a really good sleep pattern at night. You know, he's asleep within five minutes of lying down. That's a good time. And, you know, he's sleeping right through until that point. So is he sleeping in his own bed or, you know, cot or bedroom? And is that where he's waking up? So is it that he's calling you? Does he want you? Um, Or is it that he would be happy to play in his bedroom for a little bit of that time? Because when you say you're keeping him upstairs till six, but he's waking anytime between four or five. I'm just curious what you're doing with him for that hour to 90 minutes. Mm. To keep him up there, Um, you know, if you put I'm not saying like move all the toys there, but, you know, some blocks or some basic toys, books, things that he could sit and play with and amuse himself for some of that time just to kind of pass that, but you're telling him what he can do rather than you can't go down, you can't go down, you can't go down, because otherwise you're locked into a battle for that time. So if you try and see how can we make it exciting or interesting to stay in his room or to stay up here, that's going to help you. Otherwise, I am curious about could it be a clock change thing and do you need to reestablish his bedtime? Maybe even bringing him to bed a little, a little earlier, even 15 minutes to see does is that going to make a difference?
1: Right. Earlier, you're saying, rather than later. <laughs> sorry,
0: sorry. 15 minutes later.
1: Yes. Ah, right. OK. Going yes.
0: forwards and backwards. Sorry. Getting my clock fixed Which <laughs> yeah, I just, even, no, not a lot, because, you know, I, I this is a good bedtime, you know. So, and at bedtimes, when you've got a good bedtime, I know parents are very, very slow to even touch that. But I wonder, would that just buy you, that small change buy you a, a, an equal or longer small change
1: in the morning? Yeah. Because, I mean, if he, if, if he's waking up at that time, presumably he's keeping them awake anyway. Uh, well, that's
0: what I'm figuring, because I don't yeah. know. Like, how would you keep a two and a half year old who wants to go downstairs, upstairs without going, no, not yet, no, not yet, over and over? Or is it that he's looking to get into your bed for a snuggle? Is that something you're happy to do? If that's going to ensure you all get an extra hour of sleep, maybe that's worth doing. You know, have a little kind of think about what would be... What would provide him with comfort and distraction to enable him to stay upstairs? You know, could he sit on his bed, but with a book or have some toys? Is there something that he can just do himself that would do that would buy you? I don't know if it's going to buy you two hours now. I want to be realistic about Mm -hmm. that, but it might take the pinch out of that because, you know, four or five a.m. is really early.
1: My five-year-old son is biting the skin off his fingers and thumbs to the extent that it takes two hours to get him to sleep because of the pain. I had to plaster them when he was asleep. Over the last year, we have had a lot of change. We moved house in the middle of COVID. He moved crash, and his granddad passed away. He has an older brother who was super confident and quite domineering. Overall, my five-year-old is happy and outgoing But I believe he has anxiety issues. He developed night terrors from uh, camping over the summer and they continued until six weeks ago. He's not a great eater. It's a constant battle. His teacher told us he looks uh, to go to the toilet about eight times in the day. In the last few weeks, we have noticed the skin biting, maybe initially from all the hand sanitizer. His hands were bleeding on occasion in the evenings after school. I'm wondering if I need to send him to counselling to nip this biting in the bud or try to organise my work schedule so I can pick him up instead of sending him into a, onto a crash. When I have asked him about the skin biting, he says he fell. He knows it's not right but tries to hide it. He may benefit from a childminder at home. I would really welcome your thoughts and if I should continue with the routine until he gets used to it or try to change things to best suit his temperament.
0: Oh, there's so much in here. You know, and I'm struck with yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, you're you're saying here, you know, you're wondering if you should send him to counseling to nip the biting in the bud but actually do you know what I'm thinking what's beneath this biting what's underpinning and driving the the finger biting you're talking about you know he's happy and you know he's outgoing but also he has all this anxiety so if he's going to and I would suggest you know a play-based psychotherapist somebody who can you know because he's only five that can work with him through the medium of play um I I Think you're looking at this as a broader range of the anxiety he seems to be holding, not just get him to stop biting his fingers, because my concern is that if you just address the finger biting, that underlying anxiety will find its way out in a new symptom also hold in mind there's been and you name it here there's been so much change in this little guy's life in a short space of time you know moving house is a big deal and you know moving crash I'm wondering because he's five did that mean a move of school or perhaps he was only starting school at five years old you know there could have been something there as well but also losing granddad in that time so we've got you know a lot of upheaval a lot of change and transition also grief and all of that in the kind of pandemic period of heightened anxiety anyway I just think that oh my goodness there's a lot going on here you know so at home there's two things I'm going to suggest to you I think I think it's no harm to reach out to a, as I said a play-based therapist who you know go on a couple of wait lists if they're a wait list but get somebody who who is well skilled and you can ask these questions nobody is going to mind you saying are you skilled in working with children with anxiety Um, and bring him somewhere for that but that's not alone that that's not going to address all of this in the meantime and as well as referring to a therapist i would also recommend that you do a lot of nurture and soothing sensory play. And what I mean by that is things like a hand bath. So you take a basin of warm, not hot, but warm, soapy water, some nice soap in there, you know, the good stuff that smells nice. um, And, let you know, put his hands in with your hands. You're doing some nice touch. You're just kind of scooping the bubbles up and passing them from your hand to his and doing a little hand stack in the water. But just giving his hands a a gentle wash and a squeeze while they're in there, then taking them out and have a soft, fluffy towel Maybe you've warmed it on a radiator first and just wrap his hands and dry them in those. And then you're just going to rub really nice lotion, soothing lotions. Um, So generally something very neutral, not not that scented so it doesn't irritate the raw skin. And just rub that all along his hands and do a nice deep hand massage as you do that. And that could bring you into a notice and nurture activity where you ask him to take his hand as well while you've massaged it and ask him copying you to use take his left hand, using his right hand, pull up along his thumb, his pointer, his middle finger, the ring finger, his pinky, and just pull with that kind of deep pressure from the base of the finger to the tip and he's almost giving himself that hand massage and just the notice part of that then is having him notice and you notice it with him what parts of his hand are dry where does he have freckles or special marks or adventure marks you know part of being a child is bumps and bruises so from play so where are his adventure marks and just noticing those things and adding an extra bit of lotion to take extra special care of those then he could hold his hand up against yours and just do a nice measuring but again you're getting lots of that skin to skin touch in there and again following on from that you could go into an activity called slippery grip where you sit opposite him on the floor make sure his back is supported you're the one who's going to fall not him your hands are both lotioned and you hold hands and you hold, pull away from each other so you kind of grip 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 slip backwards and you can be quite dramatic with falling backwards and then he can help you up and you repeat that because in that pulling pulling and then separating you get that nice proprioceptive input but it's all done in a playful way and then looking at the lines on his palm and reading that like a fortune telling and finding three to five really nice positive things about him that you can say never say things like don't bite your fingers or anything like that make it about the things that he's good at things that make you smile when you're with him Things that he gets experiences joy from things that he's good at, and do a little bit of positive fortune telling with the lines on his hand. I think that kind of sequencing of sensory soothing, nurture based play that all involve his hands without naming. Those cut or bitten fingertips can be a really nice way of reframing and taking in positive attention through that. So I think if you increase that type of play at home, I still think that you could, that he, you, and he will benefit from reaching out to a play based therapist. I think would be really helpful.
1: Yeah, because the biting is obviously a symptom of something rather than absolutely. The and it just it
0: seems there's a breadcrumb trail here, Sean, of anxiety that there was, you know, change, change, grief, and. Um, way confident older sibling that I'm not as confident as the underpinning anxiety issues. It's playing out in school with the constant need to go to the toilet. Of course, get that checked, by the way, to make sure he doesn't have a UTI or anything. Um, But, you know, there's there's a breadcrumb trail of things that have
1: led up to the biting. Yeah, poor little fella. Yeah. Right, finally, I don't know if this is like every parent <laughs> ever or not. Uh, please tell me how to motivate a Leaving cert student who is capable of a good result but has no focus or motivation. Please don't blame COVID. So they've already limited your answer to I some know, degree or I, another. I,
0: I just love this because honestly, if I mean, I could retire if I had a precise answer for this. I would never have to work another day <laughs> in my life. Um, so I, there isn't a precise answer. And yes, I'm, and I'm not going to blame COVID covid because we're talking about explaining not excusing but do keep in mind that the current leaving cert years have not done a state exam because their junior cert was not was cancelled if i'm doing my sums right there Mm. so you know this is new this is uncharted territory this is an unknown for them so you know while you don't want to go don't say covid at the same time just retain an open mind and a bit of empathy that this is new. OK, um, I always think about, so instead of blaming COVID, I'm going to look at motivation. In, in answering this, we have two motivational systems, generally speaking. OK, one renders us you know, more sensitive to reward. That's what motivates us. I want the outcome. I, I'm motivated by the reward. And the other renders us sensitive to punishment or disappointment. So I'm going to do it because I'm trying to avoid a consequence. In other words, that's what motivates me. But what we also know around this is emotional connection with trusted caregivers, that's parents, that's teachers, important adults in our lives is a motivational force in and of itself. So a big part of me is saying, invest in connection as the route to correcting this. OK, because I think if you come at this from a, instead of saying, come on, you've got to study, come on, you've got to study, you're going to fail, you won't get into college or whatever it is. Um, find out through curiosity and playfulness and wondering, what do they like? You know, what does motivate them in their life? Like, when do you see them good, have no qualms or hesitancy about getting up and getting something done or going to meet someone or participating in something? What do they like? What do they want to do after school? Have they even got an idea about that? Is it possible to visit some, you know, college campus environments around you um, or or maybe not around you if, if it's going to be about going to college far away? um, But basically, you know, you come at it in terms of, I need to access your desire to understand what is going to motivate you. You could also just ask your young person to describe a day in their life 10 years from now. Don't judge what they say. If they're, you know, running reality TV shows and living in mansions, driving (laughs) Ferraris, fine, just take that. But you can be curious about how are you going to fund that and how do you get there? Okay, what do you need to do? Oh, it sounds like you're really interested in whatever, and help them kind of map their way to that. But if they can picture themselves 10 years from now and they've got plans, then you're going backwards and saying, OK, how do we get you there? Here's what you got to do. This is what's going to motivate you to study. I wonder as well, could you identify a teacher that they have a good connection with? Because, you know, educational outcomes are also predicted by close emotional connections with teachers, between teachers and students, and particularly teenagers. So if you could enlist the help of a teacher, I think that's worth doing. Um, I'm also curious what their teachers are saying about them um, in terms of are they concerned? Do they think, look, they're doing OK, they're going to be fine? Um, but tr- basically, try try not to only highlight what they're not doing or try not to infer associated pending doom by the fact that they're not doing it. And just a final thought on this, based on a conversation I had with an exam student recently, ensure they know how to study. Don't take for granted they know how to do that. Mm. Because in my conversation I'm bringing to mind, what came up was people keep telling me to study. and I really don't know what that, what they're actually telling me to do. I just sit there with the books, looking at the words until they start swimming on the page in front of me because they haven't learned the art of studying. And maybe that's something practical that you could sit down and do with them. I think CAO season is around now. So that could be a good way of accessing some of this 10 years from now. What is it that you want to do? You know, going through those documents and selecting courses.
1: Yeah, uh, Connor, uh, who's a teacher actually on, on Twitter, says uh, the current Leaving Cert students did do a junior sort. They were the last to do so. Okay, okay. Yeah, but it's uh, <laughs> how long ago it was. Uh, and going back to the uh, two and a half year old uh, who uh, wakes up at an ungodly hour. Uh, somebody suggests adults wake up at those dark hours too when it is too early to wake up, etc. Not good for anyone. The house is deadly quiet and colder. Try okay. an extra blanket might yeah, work you never know uh, and somebody else suggests a thing called a grow clock oh yeah uh, which oh if you know what it is could you explain it Joanna
0: yeah so a grow clock and that's actually a really good idea now it can work really well with some kids I just want to manage expectations as well with some it doesn't but basically you set the time on it so that the the hands of the clock are either in a sunlight or a moon and you tell your child they can only get up when the hands of the clock are in the sunlight or the moon OK, they can't get up when they're in the moon and you you set the timing. So it's in it's in moon for as long as you need it to be at two and a half. I'm not sure if they're going to get that. But mm. a grow clock can be very helpful in that in, in other ways like that. And the other thing to hold in mind there, Sean, just when someone's mentioning that, you know, the house is quiet and there can be noises and it can be cold. There can also be shadows. These are really dark mornings um, yeah. that, you know, to wake up early. So there could be a little bit of that as well. It can be a little bit distressing to wake up at that time.
1: Yeah. Can be just a little bit scary. Uh, Joanna, yeah. thanks a million as ever. Uh, Joanna Fortune, there, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you
0: by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.
1: Deep breaths, everyone. There's still time to save the day. With great value home cover from Super Value Insurance, you'll get 15% off online and shopping vouchers with every policy. That's a great deal for the cover you need anyway. All it takes is one big click or call. Just visit supervalue.ie/slash insurance or call 0818 010101 and our team will save the day without the drama. Terms and conditions apply. Vouchers include two €10 or €40 spend. Home contents only policies excluded. This home insurance is underwritten by AXA Insurance DAC. Supervalue Financial Services DAC trading as Supervalue Insurance is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.